Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. See, when non-believers have to come into our lives to reaffirm to us how good God is, that can sometimes be a problem, okay? You might need to take a step back and say like, okay, Lord, where are we at? Because I get these people who don't even believe in you telling me how good you are. Reminding me of your faithfulness. Wait, I should be telling them. Sadly, that's not always the case, though, is it? Here's this manager. He's like, no, you're good, man. You're God. He, he took care of it. God's goodness can be seen by everyone. He's everywhere, and he works in the lives of everyone, including those who don't believe in him. Pastor James reminds us in his message today that sometimes even non-believers can remind us of how good our God is. He can use them to encourage us in our walk with the Lord. Sometimes when our faith is weak, God sends someone into our lives to remind us of his goodness. Have you ever needed a non-believing friend to remind you of God's faithfulness? Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 43 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Where's, where's the third one? Well, he's in jail, and they won't let him out until we all go back before this man. I'd be like, well, pack the car. Let's go. Let's go. Not Jacob. Not Jacob. Look what they do. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 43. But the famine continued to ravage the land of Canaan. When the grain they had brought from Egypt was almost gone, Jacob said to his sons, go back and buy us a little more food. Not go back and get Simeon. I go back and get your brother. Hey, we're running out of food. How long? I don't know how much of the portions they had, how long that was going to cover them. I know Joseph was very specific in giving them just enough, but that they would run out and have to come back to him. He was setting it up. But here's Jacob like, no, we're not going back. We're not going to go back. But Simeon's back there. He's in jail. And Jacob is like, I can't afford to what? I can't afford to lose my beloved son, Benjamin. I'll lose Simeon, but I can't afford to lose Benjamin. Playing that favorite thing again. It even goes so far as to like waiting until they are to the point where they have no more grain. It is bleak again. Sometimes God works in our lives where... You know, I mean, he can give us little, little shots here and there in the sense of like what we need and, and all that stuff. But oftentimes God is kind of driving us into a position to where, where we finally get to the point where it's like, okay, I have to trust you. I have to trust you. Jacob's not there yet. He's not there yet. A man of faith, a tremendous man of faith. And even with this tremendous man of faith, he is not there yet. He is still relying upon himself. He has wrestled with Jesus He's had an encounter with Jesus. Remember when he touched his hip and it went out of socket? This dude has, has, has had way more experiences, crazy experiences, a ladder from heaven and angels ascending and descending off this ladder. And he still wrestles with this. He still wrestles with this. 
But he tells his sons, he's like, listen, you guys got to go back and get more food. And, and Judah, Judah's going to step up, verse 3. He says, the man was serious when he warned us, you won't see my face again unless your brother, your youngest brother, is with you. If you send Benjamin with us, we will go down and buy more food. But if you don't let Benjamin go, we won't go either. Remember, the man said, you won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. Jacob's reply to his son, ben, to his son uh, Judah, why were you so cruel to me? How could you have done this to me? I'm so disappointed in you guys. How could you have hurt me like this? And they're like, what? Well, we went and got food. He's like, why'd you tell him about Benjamin? Why'd you tell him about my beloved son? Verse 7, the man kept asking us questions about our family, they replied. He asked us, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? So we answered his questions. How could we know he would say, bring your brother down here? They're like, he was just asking these questions. Again, these are alarms that should have been going off in their brains of like, why is this guy, there are thousands of people going to Egypt to buy grain from this guy, and he doesn't say a word to any of them, but he's questioning us about our family. Hey, is your dad still alive? Our dad? That's a weird question. What about brothers? You still got a brother, huh? Is he back home? How does he know about our brother? Why is he asking us these weird questions? I don't know. Let's get our food and let's go. But here, and here's Jacob. He's turning it against his son saying, listen, how could you guys do me wrong? Why'd you tell him about Benjamin? And they're like, it's not our fault. He asked us questions. We answered his questions. It's just this this dysfunction within this family. And again, this is a representation of a family that has lost focus on the Lord. They've lost focus. And this is a family that God is using in a tremendous way, in an amazing way. And that should be encouraging to all of us, because there will be moments and seasons throughout our lives where it just seems like, I don't know what God's doing. I don't know what he's going to do. Seems like a mess right now. It seems like a mess. I mean, I'm sure Jacob's wondering, like, man, I know God promised me this thing, and it seems as though I'm losing sons left and right. How is this going to work out? He's got to be driven to that place where it's just like absolute surrender to where it's just like, you know what? I just, I don't have control. I don't have control. I have to trust God. I have to trust him. It's a good place when we get there. Nobody likes getting there. Nobody enjoys getting there. No, oftentimes, we don't even enjoy being there, if, if we're honest. But we have to get there. We have to get there. And it is best if we stay there. <laughs> it is best if we stay there. But it's the sun's going to set, and it's going to rise on a new day, and there's going to be a new temptation to be like, I, I got it. God, I got it. I'm good. All right. Hey, thanks for that. Thanks for giving me that little shot that I needed. Um, but I think I'm good. I think I got it. You know, just don't even worry. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of other people that need your help. Just uh, I'm good. Like never get to that place in your life, okay? Because it's not true. It's not true. You're not good. You don't have it. None of us do. But here's this inner, this inner conflict within this family, and they're just like pointing fingers at each other. It's your fault. No, it's your fault. It's not our fault. It's all this stuff. And Judah says to his dad, send the boy with me and we'll be on our way. Otherwise, we will all die of starvation. What do you want? What do you want, dad? What do you want? You're afraid of losing one kid. You're going to lose us all. You're afraid of losing one. You're going to lose us all. And Jacob was doing that thing where he is holding on so tightly to this thing that he cared most about. And in doing that, 
you run the risk of losing everything. Everything. I think we understand what that's like, being so afraid of losing something that we will embrace that one thing as if we have total control. And if I just hold on very tightly to this one thing, it'll never leave me and it'll be just safe and comfortable and I will be okay. The sad reality of that at times is the fact that, man, we can choke the life out of that thing and we end up losing everything. And this is the place where Jacob is at. And Judah's, Judah's got, he's, at this point in time in this story, he's got the, like, the clearest head on his shoulders in the sense of, he's like, listen, send him with me and we'll go get food and we'll come back and we can live or we all die. Take the risk. Take the gamble. Send him with me. The alternative is, Jacob, you lose everything. You lose everything because you're so afraid You're so afraid to trust God. Sometimes a hard pill to swallow, right? Because it's like, I mean, I just, I I go through that. I I feel like, man, if I can just hold on to things so tightly, somehow I have control and, and it'll be okay. Everything will just be okay. And the Lord's like, listen, man. You're, you're so white-knuckled over these things. Just let it go. Are you going to trust me or not? Am I good? Am I faithful? Am I reliable? We know this thing. We know this about God. He cannot lie. It is impossible for him to lie. It is impossible for him to lie. And, and we should all read the scriptures through that lens because he's made promises to us. He's made promises to us that he will fulfill, and he has fulfilled. So we need to bank on that and, and just trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. And again, this is what, this is what Jacob needs. He, he needs just to finally surrender. Again, he, he already has a messed up hip from earlier in his life. It's like, now it, he just needs to surrender again. And praise God he can. Praise God he lets us. Praise God he lets us. Because we're stubborn and we're, you know, we're, we're going to fall back into our ways of like, no, I'm going to rely on my own strength. I'm going to rely on all this stuff and all that. We mess up. We blow it and everything. Praise God. He says, you know what? Just come back to me. Just come back to me. I'm not done with you. I'm not done. Come back. Keep coming back. But I keep falling down. With this, I'll help you keep getting back up. Just come back to me. He doesn't give up on us. When it feels like he should... If you look back on your life and all that stuff, it's like, man, God, I don't know. I don't know why you care about me the way you do. And I would have given up on me a long time ago. But he's like, I'm not like you. I'm trying to make you more like me in one sense. So I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. He wasn't done with Jacob. He wasn't done with them. He wasn't done with his family either. Judah goes on to say, I personally guarantee you uh, his safety. You may hold me responsible if I don't bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we hadn't wasted all this time, we could have gone and returned twice by now, Dad. <laughs> He's like, what are we doing? Like, this is nonsense. What are we doing? We could have already been there and back twice. What are we doing? Just, just trust Benjamin with me. I like his concern, you know, compared to Reuben. Reuben was like, listen, Dad, I got two sons. Send him with me. If he doesn't come back with me, you can kill my two boys. And it's like, what kind of dad are you? Like, hold on. Like, that's horrible. <laughs> Judah's like, listen, send him with me. I will bring him back to you. I will bring him back to you. Judah, in one sense, is having this, like, 
this maturing that's happening. We're going to see this blossom fully by the end of this story. There's a crazy transformation that is happening in Judah's life at this moment. It's like he's starting to get it finally. Verse 11, so their father Jacob finally said to them, if it can't be avoided, then at least do this. Pack your bags. Here's the schemer again. Pack your bags with the best product, uh, the products of this land. Take them down to this man, this man as gifts, balm, honey, gum, aromatic uh, resin, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Everything that the, the famine hasn't touched, just send them to this huge gift basket. Because what we'll do is we'll win them over with our stuff. That's Jacob. That's Jacob. That's not Israel. That's Jacob. Load up the goodie bags and all that stuff. Send it to this guy. Perhaps this guy will, you know, will be won over. He says, also take double the money that was uh, put back into your, your sacks as it was probably someone's mistake. Then take your brother and go back to the man. Verse 14, may God Almighty give you mercy as you go before the man so that he will release Simeon and let Benjamin return. But if I must lose my children, so be it. This is the change for him. And this is my encouragement to all of us. If you find yourself in this position where you're holding on to something so tightly and God may be trying to coerce you to say like, give them to me, give them to me. You need to be like Jacob, and you should cry out to El Shaddai, which is God Almighty. That's in the Hebrew, it's El Shaddai. Jacob learned that word from his dad, Isaac, who had told him the same exact thing before he split and when he was robbing his dad of a blessing. They called on God Almighty. That's what we have to do. If you find yourself in a position where it's like, man, I... I just, I can't let go of this because I feel like if I let go of this, I lose all control of this and it's going to work out to my detriment. Cry out to El Shaddai, God Almighty. Isn't he God Almighty? He is. He is. What was true of him in Genesis 43 is true of him today. He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed his name. He's got lots of names. Praise God for that all describing different attributes of who he is. This one, Jacob, finally surrenders and says, El Shaddai, may God Almighty, may God Almighty show us mercy. And he comes to this point where he's like, you know what? If this is God's plan for my life, and it's a little dramatic, a little bit dramatic, if God wants me to lose all my kids, so be it. He's still God Almighty. He's still El Shaddai. It's best to be in that place within our lives. It's just best to be in that place within our lives. And I know that's scary. Like, that's terrifying ground to step on, where you're like, as if we know everything and as if we know what's going to happen and we have any kind of control over our lives. But to, to step out there and say, okay, God, I don't know what you want. I don't always understand what you want. I don't, I don't even always understand why you're doing what you're doing. But I'm going to step out in faith and say, El Shaddai, God Almighty, I trust you. I trust you. And just let it go. Let it go. Let him do what he does best. Because what we don't realize, he's already been moving in Egypt. He's already been working this all, this all out. So we can look back at these stories and be like, Jacob, just let him go. It's going to be okay. Yeah, you put yourself in the story. 
And I'm right there with Jacob saying, I don't think so. No, <laughs> no, I can't afford to lose anymore. I've already lost my one son. I can't afford, he even says, in essence, he, we'll, we'll find that this conversation in greater detailing when Judah retells it to Joseph. But he says, listen, if they take my son, I'm going to die. What's the point of living? It will bring me to my grave. But he does come to the point where he's like, you know what? God is in control, and I'm just going to trust him. So the men packed Jacob's gifts and doubled the money and headed off with Benjamin. They finally arrived in Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the manager of his household, these men will eat with me this noon. Take them inside the palace or into his home. Then go slaughter an animal and prepare a big feast. The man did as Joseph had told him and took them to Joseph's palace. The brothers were terrified when they saw it or saw that they would be taken to Joseph's house. It is because of the money some, someone put in our sacks the last time we were here, they said. He plans to pretend that we stole it. Then he will seize us and make us slaves and take our donkeys, right? Like, this is the rationale, okay? This is a guilty conscience at work here, okay? They've been living for 20-something years with this thing about Joseph hanging over their heads, and they're like, we know God's going to get us. God's going to get us. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Listen, we sold Joseph into slavery. Now this guy is going to enslave us. And they're talking about Joseph the whole time. The whole time. But they're like so panicky and so worried about it. And they're like, nobody gets invited into this guy's palace. Nobody does. Why is he doing this? Well, he's got to be up to something. Well, we know that they're conditioned to think that because that's a the household they grew up in. Their dad has always been up to something. That's who Jacob is. And so they've been conditioned to like live their lives like this. Like, man, we don't, something's not right here. He wants something from us. He's going to get us. He's going to get us. So they're really going to take on, um, you know, a lot of what they learned from their dad. They're going to talk to this manager. They're going to be like, all right, well, let's just see if we can talk our way out of this thing, okay? Before it gets really bad for us, let's just clear the air. Verse 19, the brothers approached the manager of Joseph's household and spoke to him at the entrance of the palace. Sir, they said, we came to Egypt once before to, to buy food. But as we were returning home, we stopped for the night and opened our sacks. Then we discovered that each man's money, the exact amount paid, was in the top of his sack. Here it is. We have brought it back with us. We also have additional money to buy more food. We have no idea who put the money in our sacks. They're like, listen, we don't know how it ended up there, but we didn't do it. Okay, we didn't do it. We're innocent. And this is kind of even showing some growth on their part, right? Because probably 20 years ago, they've been like, sweet, you know, we got our money back and food, bonus, okay, good. But now they're going back and they're like, listen, we brought back money and we brought back extra. We didn't do this. We're, we're innocent. We're innocent. The manager of the house says, relax. Don't be afraid. Chill out. No worries. It's cool. What are you guys sweating over? There's a reason why your money is back in your bags. He says, he says, your God, the God of your father, must have put the treasure into your sacks. They're like, oh, well, what are you talking about? He's like, I received your money. I have no idea what you're talking about. Your God must have hooked you up. And they're like, what? How is this non-believer testifying to us about the goodness of God when we should be the ones testifying to him about it? He's like, I don't know what you guys are worried about. Obviously, your God cares about you. Obviously, your God is, is watching out for you. Obviously, your God has your back. See, when non-believers have to come into our lives to reaffirm to us how good God is, 
that can sometimes be a problem, okay? You might need to take a step back and say like, okay, Lord, where are we at? Because I got these people who don't even believe in you telling me how good you are, reminding me of your faithfulness. Wait, I should be telling them. Sadly, that's not always the case though, is it? Here's this manager. He's like, no, you're good, man. You're God. He, he took care of it. I know I received your payments, what the New Living Translation says. Then he released Simeon and brought him out to them. The manager then led them into Joseph's palace. He gave them water to wash their feet, provided food for their donkeys, and they were told they would be eating there. So they prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon. When Joseph came home, he gave them, uh, they gave him the gifts that they had brought, and they uh, then bowed down low on the ground before him, thus Again, confirming that the first visit they bowed down before him, and that was the dream Joseph had of his brothers would bow down before him, and they do it again here. So they all bow down before him, which was all customary. They, this was, you know, this is just what you did, especially to a high-ranking official. After greeting him, he asked, how is your father, the old man you spoke about? Is he still alive? Yes, they replied, our father, your servant is alive and well, and they bowed low again. Then Joseph looked at his brother Benjamin, the son of his own mother. Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about, who is probably around 23 years of age at this point in time, okay? May God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. Technically, in the Hebrew, what that means is he wanted so badly to embrace his little brother. That's what it, he was so overcome with emotion. He was so filled with joy. There's my little brother. We share the same dad. We share the same mom. There's my little brother. And I want so desperately to just, to cancel all this and just embrace my little brother. But he had to keep his cool. He had to keep his composure because again, he's run some tests for, on his brothers, but he still needs to figure out exactly where these guys are at. So he bails. He runs out of the room, just takes off. Um, he says he, he hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went into his own private room where he broke down and wept. After washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control. Then he ordered, bring out the food. The waiter served Joseph at his own table. So there's three tables. Joseph has his own table, his own food. His brothers were seated at a separate table. And the Egyptians who ate with Joseph sat at their own table because Egyptians despise Hebrews and refused to eat with them. Yeah, this whole thing has been from the very beginning, okay? This whole, like, one group of people is better than the other, it all goes back to the beginning. They didn't know how to solve it back then. We, we know the solution. It's Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can really break through all the nonsense, whether it's racial or thinking one group's better than Jesus breaks through all that stuff. It's a level playing field with him. Men, women, we're all at the, the what they say, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, Right? But even back here in Egypt, the Egyptians hated these guys. They despised these guys. And especially that they, you know, they're shepherds and all that stuff. We'll see that. You'll see that read through Moses' story. But they hated these guys. And actually, at the end of Genesis, we'll talk about that too. But so you got the Egyptians, you got Joseph, and you got his brothers. Here's the crazy thing. Joseph told each brothers where to sit. And to their amazement, he seated them according to age from oldest to youngest. And they're all like, what in the world? Do you know the odds of that happening? It's like one in 40 million. His brother's like, who is this guy? The 
beginning of the world has been a hotly contested topic for some time now, and the debate has caused many to dig deeper into their origin. The simplest answer is often the one that's correct. Our world and everything in it was molded and placed in its orbit by a supreme being, God. The account of this beginning and the first people to walk the earth is recorded for us in the pages of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. God's authority over nature and humankind has been evident from the start. He simply spoke and all took shape. God formed people to inhabit this beautiful planet, to care for it and for each other. Pastor James Grizzle has been taking the time to share God's plan for life from the pages of Genesis. And we hope you'll tune in again to continue the story. If you missed any part of today's message on Bread for the Broken, don't worry. You can find it now on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Listen through all of Pastor James' teachings that we've made available there, and feel free to share them with any friends or family you think would find it helpful. That website again is breadforthebroken.com. We're so glad you chose to spend time with us today, and we want you to know that we're keeping you in our prayers every time we produce another edition of this program. Each edition of Bread for the Broken is made with our listeners in mind, and we want to make sure our Creator is the first one we're all turning to. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Bread for the Broken. It's our prayer that every listener finds hope and new life in Jesus.